Time's getting shorter I am not much longer on this earth There's coming a new world order If you don't get to Christ Here's what it's worth In the twinkling of an eye The Lord is coming back to take his own If you're left behind You're lost forever And you'll die alone God will send a strong delusion And you will believe the lie Now is the accepted time To flee the wrath So sinner, come on home Come to him Reconcile Christ, He will save you from your sins. There's a line that's drawn in time when God will never let you in. So come on home, come to Him. You're walking on the border. Just a flash, you could be dead and gone. Yes, time is getting shorter. Not long from now, no mercy will be shown. Then you'll never know the sweetness of a broken heart at Jesus' feet. Never see with eyes of faith my Savior hanging on the tree, pouring drops of mercy's blood so he would die and I would live, crying out in anguish, Father, forgive them. Oh, sinner, come on home, come to him, reconcile to Christ, He will save you from your sins. There's a line that's drawn in time when God will never let you in. So come on home, come to Him. Oh, come on home, come to Him. Ferdy didn't have any idea at all what I'm preaching on this morning, and it couldn't have been a better song for an introduction, because the same thoughts and the same things are what we're going to preach to you about, and the name, title of our message this morning is called Careless Thinking. Now, I'm staying with this same little... Uh, way of learning the Old Testament by going into some of these little books that we have never preached out of before. And I want you to turn this morning to Amos, the book of Amos, the sixth chapter. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. 
Micah. So Amos is two books or two pages before Jonah. Amos 6. This is a fairly interesting book over here. Uh, Amos was a herdsman. You don't hear much about him, but he was one of God's prophets. Chapter 6 and verse 3. We're just going to use one verse this morning. He says, Ye that put far away the evil day. Does that have any meaning to you? Ye that put far away the evil day and cause the seed of violence to come near. Apart from the scriptures, there's no information about what faces a sinner when he or she dies. The world at large is ignorant of their most important part, that's their soul. Our Lord Jesus stresses the value of your soul in Mark 8, verse 36. Keep your ribbon there now in Amos 6. But Mark 8, verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Or what has a man got to give in exchange for his soul? Not a thing. Now why do I say your soul? Because now that you have read it, the question is yours. God's word speaks to you as an individual, not to a group, not to a church. Once you read it, you have been spoken to by God. Even if it's in conversation with some person, let's say like our Lord was speaking to Nicodemus. Well, what our Lord said to Nicodemus, he says to you when you read it. You must be born again. You are condemned already. You love darkness rather than light because your deeds are evil. You see, God's people cling to every word believe every word and cry to the Lord to open their understanding to learn more about Christ. Paul, writing to the saints at Ephesus, prayed for their understanding to be opened. Look at Ephesians 1, verse 15. Ephesians 1, 15. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What's his prayers about? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Anything else? Yeah, he goes on. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, 
which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet to give him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. What were these people he wrote to? They were saints. They were saved, but he still prayed for their understanding to be enlightened. But this soul of yours and everybody else's belongs to God. Look at Ezekiel 18.4. Ezekiel 18.4. These bigger books are easy to find in the back because there's so many pages and you can't help but land on it. Ezekiel 18.4 Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. And the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now this dying, this dying because of sin is what is called in our text the evil day. For the majority of mankind, it is their doomsday. Turn to Psalm 37, look at verse 13. Psalm 37, 13. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. His day the day of every sinner. Now, why would anyone want to put the security of their soul far away? You know, our text said, ye that put far away the evil day. Well, unbelief is one of the reasons, or the first big reason. Turn to Psalm 14, look at verses 1 through 3. Psalm 14, 1 through 3. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they have done abominable works, there is none that doeth good. And the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and see God. And they are all gone aside, they are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, that's not too good of a commentary on mankind. But we have a lot of religious people that are in that same category there. And if they say they believe in God, then they don't believe in the Son, who is the only way to God. Look at John 14, 6. Awful lot of people say, yes, I believe in God. I sure do. I believe in God. But there's only one way to get to him. No other way, one way. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now that's the most dogmatic statement in the whole scriptures. That eliminates every other religion in the world. You say, why why 
why so positive just because it's written in this book? Well, because it's written in this book is what makes it so positive. There's no other book like this. This is God's book. This is the book that contains wonderful prophecies completely fulfilled which show that it has to be stamped with the divine signature. Also, while you're there in John, look at John 20 and verse 31. John 20 and verse 31. Talking about the things written in the book of John, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. In other words, there is a individual, a person, a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh. You've got to believe that he was the Messiah. He's the Christ. And he's the Son of God, the second person of our triune God. And he took on human flesh. You see, in believing that, you have eternal life through his name. Now, not only unbelief of God, but there's an unbelief of God's word. They don't believe that God is the creator. They just don't believe that Adam represented all of us when we fell. And we fell in Adam. Now, you learn these things from the scriptures. Look at Psalm 33, 6, for one. Psalm 33, 6, which tells you about God creating. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He spoke everything into existence. Everything was made out of nothing. Only our God can do that. He's the creator. Now, we talked about Adam, man's fall in Adam. People don't believe this. They think that the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve is a fairy tale. No, it's not a fairy tale, not at all. It's a very, very serious matter that the depraved nature that you and I have came from Adam. Turn to Romans 5.12. The book of Romans 5.12. Very, very simple statement of Paul's up here. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, that all have sinned. Okay, there's your representation by Adam. Now, I know there's folks that say, well, I don't know if I'd had Adam representing me. Well, I want to tell you, who would have been better? There's no better representative for mankind than Adam. He walked with God. He talked with God. He was God's first creation as a human being. He was sin-free for a while, which nobody else has ever been. Scriptures tell us he named all the animals, so he was pretty smart. Who could have been a better representative? So the very best fell. Who, who could be any better than that? And then no natural person really believes in hell. I don't think any of your friends or my friends really believe in hell, or they'd certainly want to escape it. 
But look at 1 Corinthians 2.14. You see, the doctrine of hell is spiritual. Now, I would say the doctrine of heaven is spiritual too, but because it's nice, oh, because it doesn't... <laughs> It doesn't have any hardships there. People would readily admit, well, they would probably like to go to heaven. 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, and neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned, and that goes with believing about hell. Very few people even believe that there is a hell. So to secure their soul against the evil day is the same thing that they put far away. They put even thoughts of dying, thoughts of hell, thoughts of the evil day far away as if they're never going to come. Now unbelief of the scriptures is ignorance of the most important issues in life. There is no other source of information on such topics as to what went on before the flood, God's choice of Israel as a chosen people, blood sacrifice for remission of sins, God's mercy, God's justice, his hatred of sin, his love of righteousness, his eternal love for the bride or the church, his plan to redeem son of mankind and adopt them into his family. You see, all these things are in the scriptures and anybody that says, I don't believe them, they're in trouble. They're in eternal trouble. The Lord Jesus Christ living a perfect life and giving his perfect life and spotless blood is the payment for the sins of the elect. Basic doctrine of the scriptures. The resurrection of the redeemed who will be given bodies just like the resurrected body of Christ. There's not very many people even know that. Turn to Philippians 3.21. We're going to take a peek at it again because it's a great, it gives you great hope. If you were to think that the resurrection has to do with this body that you have now, you'd be, of all people, most miserable. The resurrection promises us a new body, like unto Christ's body. Let's read it. Verse 21, Philippians 3. Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things, unto himself. Our Lord has promised us a body like his. And then there's another interesting feature or doctrine in the scriptures, his coming again. And the church meeting Christ in the air with their new bodies then to be ever with Christ. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, just before the two Timothys, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So we meet Christ in the air for the very 
first time with our new bodies. Now, there are a lot of saints going on ahead, and they're with Christ now as spirits. Their souls are with the Lord Jesus Christ, but they have not as yet been in his presence with their new bodies. That's coming. We just read about it. They're going to be resurrected, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and we all meet the Lord together at the same time. That's his promise. It's not something man made up. It's right here in God's word. And that's a, that's a Christian's hope. You see, to be ignorant of these things is to put the evil day far away in your mind. But your evil day may be today or tomorrow. Once you quit breathing, it's over. No such thing as a second chance. There are lots of things in life that you can get a second chance at, but not salvation. Look at Hebrews 9.27. Hebrews 9.27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. There's one dying, and judgment follows. That's for the unbeliever. You see, a elect soul, the Lord draws that sinner's heart to him while he's still breathing, while he has life. And that sinner stands in judgment as the Holy Spirit shows him his guilt he admits it before God, and God pardons him in this life. There's not going to be any judgment then after he dies. But this is normal. It is appointed unto men, all mankind, once to die, but after this the judgment. Now look at Hebrews 2.3. Just back up a few pages, same book. Hebrews 2.3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Well, doesn't God just automatically feel sorry for sinners and just forgive them? No, that's the vain imagination of people concerning a God that they feel is on vacation most of the time. Turn to Jeremiah 23. Look at verse 23. Jeremiah 23:23. God knows what people think. He certainly knows what you and I think, but... We're talking about the religious element now out there in the world. He says, Am I a God at hand, say the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? How's anybody going to hide? How's anybody going to get away with anything? He's not on vacation. 
Nobody gets away with anything. And God's attitude toward sinners is founded on his justice. His justice is very strict and says that every single sin, no matter how big or small, must be paid for by sinless, spotless blood. Or that sinner spends an eternity in a lake of fire, suffering eternal torments because of their sin, not because of their nature. You see, there isn't anybody on earth that doesn't sin. A lot of folks kind of think there's a sinless perfection going on somewhere out there. There isn't. One thought contrary to God is sin. And it has to be paid for by sinless, spotless blood. Turn to 2 Thessalonians 1.7 and we'll see a little bit about that. God's wrath against sin when our Lord Jesus Christ comes back which so many people don't think he's going to do that's another thing I don't understand is people saying oh he's not coming back to earth again he's already been humiliated enough that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard the scripture definitely tells you he's coming 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, And to you who are troubled or persecuted, like there's a lot of folks had been, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. What's to be revealed? To be seen. He's coming from heaven with angels. We also know he's coming with saints. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that the reason? That's enough reason. There don't have to be any other reason. It don't have to be because they're adulterers or they're murderers or they're uh, thieves. It don't have to be any of those things. Here's enough reason right here why they are going to be punished with everlasting fire that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what, how much uh, value God the Father puts upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't believe his gospel? Boom! Out. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints, to be admired in all them that believe. Where's that going to be? In heaven? No, it's going to be right here on earth. There are amazing things coming up in the future. Imagine, just for not obeying the gospel. But it even gets a little bit stiffer than that down there. In the second chapter, verses 9 through 12, where it says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Some people receive the truth and let it go in one ear and out the other, but they never love it. Can you understand eternal punishment? Because you do not receive the love of the truth. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth. 
but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What's the truth? The truth is this, is that you and I are sinners that deserve an eternal hell because of our sin. And that the Lord Jesus Christ, who kept the law perfectly in order to give us eternal life, and then shed his blood and gave his life to pay for our sin, those are things you must know and must believe. That's the truth. Now, if anybody doesn't want to take the place of a lost sinner, doesn't want to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is a perfect substitute for them, they will be damned. They will be given a strong delusion, and they'll never believe, and they'll spend eternity in a lake of fire. Only this book tells you about these things. No other book does. Now there it says that they received not the love of the truth or who just didn't believe the truth. Now I told you that unbelief was a terrible, terrible thing. Just unbelief. Now let's see how sympathetic God is with the willful, ignorant sinners who put far away the evil day. Sooner or later that evil day arrives. Sure, it's going to catch you by surprise, but it will arrive, and here's how God handles it for you. Look at Proverbs 1, verse 24. Proverbs 1 and verse 24. Because I have called, and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. Why? For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel that despised all my reproof, and therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Well, that's one of the ways God's going to handle that. Turn to Psalm 212. Psalm 212. Here's another little warning in the scriptures. Let's read 11 also. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. While you're in Psalms, turn to Psalm 50 and verse 22. Psalm 50 and verse 22. This is our God. Sometimes you have to talk very roughly to people in order to get their attention. 
most people think they have to holler and scream at their kids to get their attention. Well, this is like a holler and a scream here in the scriptures. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. See, that's how God's going to handle this thing at the end, on that evil day, this evil day that people put far away. Oh, it's never going to happen to me. Yes, it is. It's appointed on a man wants to die. It's going to be your evil day unless you know Christ. Let's see how it looks in the New Testament. Turn to Matthew 7, verse 22. Matthew 7 and verse 22. People like to be religious. Some folks jump into religion. They go to the seminary. They study. They go to college. They get all the degrees. They learn the books inside and out. They know the number of pages in each book and how many chapters they have and the history of all the men that wrote it. And you know what happens? They have never taken time to come to Christ as a lost sinner. There's where their problem is. And that's where this, that's the basis of this scripture here. Verse 22, Matthew 7. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Now they, they come to him with the right term, Lord, Lord. It's supposed to mean that he's their master. But it's only words. Have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. Everything done in the name of Jesus. Who can do that much here? Who in this congregation has ever done anything as wonderful as these people have done? Not a one of us. I had never healed anybody. Never cast out a demon. Wouldn't know one from Adam. I guess I should. Adam didn't have any clothes. Had done many wonderful works. I haven't done any wonderful works. God's just called me to preach just to this small congregation. It's a small work. It's our work. But these people were great. And verse 23 says, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. He's calling those wonderful religious works iniquity. Where did they get the power to do that? How could they cast out devils? Ah, I guess Satan can give people power to do anything in the religious world. It says he appears as an angel of light, and his ministers appear as ministers of righteousness. It's a, it's a very sneaky world out there, I want to tell you. The only thing you have to go by is this book, this book here, this word, the wonderful word of God. Now let's look at a portion from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32. We're still talking about how God's going to handle this day of evil. Deuteronomy 32. Start with verse 35. 
I have 35, 39, 46, and 47. So 35, here's God speaking. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand. Their day, that evil day. See, we're still talking about those that put that evil day far away. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. Verse 39. See now that I, even I am he, and there's no God with me. I kill, I make alive. I wound and I heal. And neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. Now verses 46 and 47. And he said unto them, Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which ye shall command your children to observe to do all the words of this law. Now it's important that true, real religion is family. It's passed down from parents to children, from parents who are true to their children, to their children who are true to their children. Verse 47, For it is not a vain thing for you, because it is your life. That's a great thought there. The most important thing in your life is to know God and to teach your children about him. This is your life. All right, now you remember what Christ said about the writings of Moses. Now you see, this was some of Moses that you and I just read. Now let's see what our Lord says about this portion of Scripture. Turn to John 5, look at verse 45. John 5, 45 Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? You see how important those words were that we read in Deuteronomy? When the Lord said, Now I want you to teach your children these things. Turn to Luke 16 and look at verse 29 where again our Lord teaches about Moses. Luke 16 and verse 29. This is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was a beggar that went to heaven or went to paradise at that time, they were both in the same place because there was no resurrection as yet. Nobody went to heaven before the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ because sin hadn't been paid for. Got it? Exception, sure. Moses and Elijah and Enoch, those that God took up. Always exceptions. Generally speaking, the saints did not go to heaven until the resurrection. So here we have a picture of where they all were in the heart of the earth. 
But this guy, this rich man, didn't like it there. He was in torments and wanted the Lord to send uh, Lazarus back from the dead. Here's what our Lord says, verse 29. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Huh, mistaken idea. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rose from the dead. And that's true. Because how many people believe out there in the world that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead? doesn't mean anything to them. It's just that Easter Sunday comes around and we celebrate somebody rose from the dead. Turn to Psalm 90, verses 8 through 12. Psalm 90. So, our message today about people that put the evil day far off, we come now to a portion to make you think, to let you see, like in Ferdy's song, that life isn't all that long, and that the evil day will come. Now, let's see how the scripture describes it in Psalm 90, verses 8 through 12. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told, just as a story. And the days of our years are threescore years and ten, which is seventy. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years or eighty years old, Yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for, it's soon, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Sure, you reach 80. Sure, you reach 85. Some reach 90. But tell you what, you haven't got long to go. There's nobody living on earth here 120 years old. Not any, I don't think. Of all the billions in the world. See, it does come to an end. Verse 17. Verse 12, verse 12, so teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. That means let's take notice of that evil day, that day when we quit breathing. We must know the Lord Jesus Christ. Then it's not an evil day. Then it will be a day of rejoicing. Then it will be a day of no more tears, no more sorrows, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. See, teach us to apply our days. And then verse 17, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Well, let's have one more scripture while we're over here in the Psalms. Turn to Psalm 145 and look at verse 18 and 19. Psalm 145, 18 and 19. 
This is to give encouragement to anybody. I don't care where they've been, who they've been with, what they've done. God knows all about that. Here's what's important. This is what's important. Verse 18, The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him. To all that call upon him in truth. And we've talked about what truth is. Your knee condition before Christ and him as your only hope. That's the truth. You come as a lost sinner, he comes as a savior. He only saves lost sinners. Let's read the next verse. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. Now, is there any better promise in the scriptures? If you come unto the Lord Jesus Christ, he will hear your cry and he will save you. The problem is, is that people...